Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Now we've been going over some basics, devotional disciplines, habits of righteousness that as Christians we want to develop, but we're going to actually step back chronologically and talk about today how any of us knows that we are a Christian. And the reason we're doing that is because after the morning worship, we're going to head outside. It's beautiful weather and uh, one of our young people is going to be baptized. And I want to talk about what that means. Because a lot of times we think we know what something means. Uh, we've been exposed to it somewhere. Somebody's told us something. And, and we might even have the wrong idea of what it's about. So we're going to talk about heaven as a birthright today in order to understand the purpose and the, and the meaning of, of baptism. Any person who is baptized is, is, is doing it for, for three reasons. First of all, they are being obedient to Christ's command to be baptized. In fact, in Acts, in several places, it says, repent and be baptized. And uh, God not only wants us to become his children, but after we become his children, he wants us to follow in, that, uh, in obedience and be baptized. Second, our baptism shows our new allegiance to the God of heaven. Because before we were Christians, the Bible says, ye are of your father, the devil. Before we were Christians. We're children of wrath. We belong in the kingdom of darkness, the Bible says. And when we become God's children, we're translated, we're moved out of that kingdom of darkness into the glorious light of God's kingdom. But that all happens on the inside. It's a spiritual truth, and people don't see that right away. And so baptism is one way we give an outward sign of that change that's happened in our heart. Finally, it shows our faith to the public. We want people to understand that we have left behind our thought that somehow we can save ourselves, somehow we can be good enough, and we're putting our faith and trust for salvation, for that forgiveness of sin, we're putting that completely in the hands of Jesus Christ. And that's what baptism is about. Baptism is a, is a visible symbol of what's already happened in a, in a person's heart. So today I want to talk about how any of us knows that we're a Christian. You might be surprised to hear that God wants you to know that you're a Christian. First uh, John chapter 5, um, if you find it later, you, you'll read there, it says, These things I've written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. I know it can seem, especially from some religious backgrounds, it can seem almost presumptuous, almost proud and arrogant that anyone would say, Yes, I know I'm on my way to heaven. Maybe you grew up in one of those religious backgrounds and you're thinking, You know, preacher, that's just, this is pretty hard to hear because how can I know? Well, the truth is God wants you to know. It's only men and man-made religion that confuses the issue and wants you to wonder. God wants us to know. Not because I'm a good person, but because Jesus Christ has already paid the price for all my sin. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But we, we want you, I say we, Elmira Baptist Church wants you to know that you are a Christian. Want you to know that you have eternal life, your sins are forgiven, and regardless of what happens to you on this earth, that you're going to spend eternity with God in heaven. So I'm going to tell you how you can know that. Now, I'm going to use an analogy that's, that's close to my heart, and that is um, the analogy of citizenship, because when we went to Mongolia, uh, we spent 11 years in Mongolia, we being my family and I, 
my wife, our four children, the six of us were there in Mongolia for 11 years. And it was not uncommon when we were in Mongolia for someone to ask us, for a Mongolian to ask us, how do you get a visa to America? How do you get an American visa? And the first time I was ever asked that, I sort of stopped and I thought, I have no idea. I don't need a visa to go back to the United States. I'm an American citizenship. My passport, I'm an American citizen. My passport is a, a United States passport. And when I show up at the border, for us, it was always an airport. I show them my passport. And almost invariably, the immigration agent would say something like, welcome home. Boy, that's good to hear when you've been <laughs> overseas. Welcome home. But for these Mongolians, they weren't American citizens. So when they showed up at the U.S. border, they had a Mongolian passport. The immigration officer would flip through looking for a visa. And they would say to me, how do I get a visa? And we didn't know because we didn't need one. Let me tell you, there are no visas into heaven. Everyone who gets to heaven gets to heaven because he was born again. The Bible says ye must, Jesus told Nicodemus, the Bible says ye must be born again. It's through that new birth that any of us gets to heaven. And so I want to tell you about that uh, new birth today, because again, I don't want anyone to leave wondering, okay, now, do I have it? Do, am, I, am I born again? Do, do, I, do I, is heaven my eternal home? Are my sins forgiven? I don't want anyone to wonder today. I want you to know. Another question we often were asked in Mongolia was, what is your country of origin? Now, they didn't quite make it that fancy, but Han Hanhui would just, what's your country of origin? Now, imagine somebody said to me while I was in Mongolia, what is your country of origin? And I said, you know, I don't know. I've never really thought about it. I'm sure the Mongolian would think this guy is insane or he doesn't know Mongolian. <laughs> I asked a simple question, what's your country of origin? Now, we always said we're American. Sometimes they would guess Particularly with me, they wanted to guess that I was Russian. I don't know, maybe my complexion or the features, I don't know. Maybe it was a hat. I, ha I did have a hat that looked like a Russian hat. And they'd say, oh, are you from Russia? I'd say, no, no, I'm an American. I knew what my country of origin was. And we want you to know that your citizenship is in heaven, that you are on your way there. We're not trying to hurry you. Trust me, we're not trying to hurry you. But we want you to be certain that you are a child of God. So the, there's some truths. If we're going to understand what it means to be born again, there are some truths about God that we need to understand. And the first truth about God that we need to understand is that God is perfectly holy. God is perfectly holy. In fact, James 1.13 tells us that God cannot be tempted with evil. When I say God is perfectly holy, I mean God never sins and in fact, like James tells us, he's not even tempted to sin. Now, some of you ladies will appreciate this. Have you noticed that no matter how long you take cleaning your house, no matter how many cupboards you open and, and sweep out the dust, no matter how many corners you get in behind to, to clean out, it always seems that something is left unclean in the house. And your guest always ends up seeing that one place. You just, you can really, really work at it. And there's always seems to be one spot that gets left undone. Now imagine if you could clean your house perfectly. I mean, just perfectly. Anybody could try to go through that house and find something that was 
not clean, and they wouldn't be able to find anything. That would be amazing, frankly. And as human beings, we struggle to understand God's holiness because none of us are holy. We'll talk about that more. So we sort of think that God must have some imperfections somewhere. He must have some problems with something. The truth is, God doesn't have any imperfections. God is perfect, and God is holy. And because God is perfectly holy, he must judge sin. Now, we'll talk more about this in a minute, but sin is anything I think or anything I say or anything that I do that breaks God's law. Now, the do part we understand. I mean, if I kill somebody, that's sin. In fact, usually if I'm talking to a a stranger about sin, I'm talking to someone that doesn't know me well about sin, they'll usually say to me something like, yeah, well, I've never killed anybody. And I hope that's true. It would be awkward if they said, yeah, I've only killed two or three people. So I understand that you've never killed anybody, but it's not just what we do, it's what we say that can also break God's law. When we tell a lie, the Bible says, thou shalt not bear false witness. Another spot, it says, lie not one to another. When we tell a lie, we're breaking God's law because God is a God of truth. He's always honest. He never says anything that's false, that doesn't align with reality. But you know, especially if, if you're prone to this, and, and I know people who are, so, sometimes it's so much easier to tell the lie than to tell the truth. But every time that I say a lie, that I tell a lie, I'm breaking God's law. That's what sin is. But it's not just what I do or what I say. The Bible says that even what I think can break God's law. I'm going to read to you from Matthew 5, where Jesus is talking to some very religious people. And Jesus says to the religious people, Ye have heard that it was said of them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, this is Jesus said, I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Now, I grew up with two brothers, and they're both younger than me. So this verse really resonates with me, because I can remember many times that I was angry with my brothers. Now, I didn't do anything. Because I had good parents, and it seemed like no matter what I did, I could not talk my way out of getting in trouble if I hurt my brothers. So I rarely hurt my brothers, but I was often angry at them. I often harbored hatred and bitterness in my heart toward a family member because I was so angry about something that they, one of my brothers had done. And God tells us that even having that anger in your heart, if it's without a cause, and trust me, mine was usually without a cause, That breaks God's law. Anything we think, anything we say, anything we do that breaks God's law is sin. And I have bad news for you. All of us start out as sinners. The first time you sin just proves that that's where you started. And I can almost guarantee you, you don't even remember the first time you sinned. If you've raised children, you know it just comes naturally for them to do what's wrong. Don't touch that, you say to your child. And what does the child almost invariably do? Reaches out and touches it. That's just, that's what's in our hearts because we are sinners. Uh, Even, uh, I have to admit, the first time my, my oldest child lied to me, I was shocked. I don't know why I was shocked. That's what naturally is in our hearts. We're sinners by birth. 
And the truth is that we could never, we could never pay for our sins. Just recently, I was talking to someone and he said something like this. He said, yeah, I, I, well, first he said, the way to heaven is you just don't do anything that's wrong. I said, okay, the problem is, I know I've done things that are wrong and you know you've done things that are wrong. And he said, yeah, that's true. But what you have to do is you have to make up for it. You know, if you do something that's bad, then you got to do something good. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Nobody gets to heaven by making up for the bad that they've done. And to help you understand that, let me give you this illustration. I enjoy making omelets. I don't like to make many food, but, but omelets is something I actually enjoy making. And omelets take eggs. So let's imagine that I take an egg and I, I crack it and, and I put it in the bowl to, to whisk it so that I can make this omelet. And the first egg is fine, but the second egg is bad. And I drop that second egg into the, into the bowl. And if you've ever opened a bad egg, you know that it smells. And you know it looks funny. And I can smell that it's bad. I see that it's bad. Now, if I'm making an omelet for you, how many good eggs do you want me to add to that omelet before you eat it? Yeah, that's right. You'd say, you know, preacher, if you want to make an omelet for me, you're going to throw away the bad egg and you're going to start over. Because no amount of good eggs make up for the bad egg. And in my life, no amount of good things that I do can ever make up for the bad things that I did. Can you imagine if there was somebody just driving recklessly through Vacaville and they ran someone over and they killed them? Now, it wasn't intentional, so legally it wouldn't be murder. It would probably be uh, manslaughter. But they go to before the judge and, and they've killed someone because of their reckless driving. And they say to the judge, okay, judge, you know, I admit I killed that person, but how many good things do I have to do in order to just sponge that from my record, get it off my record? I would be offended if the judge said, well, why don't you do about um, 200 hours of community service and we'll call it good. I'd say, what? You just can't take it off their record because they do some good stuff. And because God is perfectly holy, he must judge sin. He, he, he doesn't say, okay, well, you've done this many bad things and you do this many good things. You've done this, told this many lies, tell this many truths, and somehow it balances out. Every sin must be paid for, must be judged. But that leads us to the second truth about God that I want you to understand. Not only is God perfectly holy, but God loves us. Now that's the good news. <laughs> the bad news is I am never, I am never going to be good enough for heaven. I'm never going to be able to earn my way to heaven. I'm never going to be able to make up for all the bad things I did. But the good news is that God loves us. And God loves us. One of the reasons God loves us is because he created us. Have you ever considered where you come from? Now, I know you have parents. I understand that and ancestors, etc. But God created this whole universe. He created the human body. It's an amazing, uh, it's an amazing creation. It's, it's hard to even fathom. Those of you that have studied biology or anatomy at length, the human body is amaz amazing. Its ability to repair itself. Just amazing. God created all those functions in the human body. And because he created us, he loves us. And I want to present to you this morning that he loves us more than we can understand. He simply loves us more than we can understand. In Ephesians 2, 
The chapter starts out talking about how we are children of wrath. We're sinners. We do wrong things. And then it transitions, and in verse 4 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us. For his great love wherewith he loved us. Even when you were dead in sins. God loved me even when I was a sinner. That's hard, because as human beings, we find it easy to love people who make us happy who please us, and we find it very hard to love people who are rebellious and hate us and spit at us and throw things at us and say terrible, mean things to us. The truth is, when I was a sinner, God loved me. When you were a sinner, God loved you. And because God loves us so much, he gave his only begotten son. Maybe the most famous verse in in our Bible is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. That's the extent to which God loved the world. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There's a true story about a bridge operator. This would have been in the 1930s in in, um, Uh, back east near the Mississippi River. His job was to open a drawbridge for the boats that would go under the bridge and then close the drawbridge for the trains that would go over the bridge. And his name was John Griffith. And John Griffith had a son. And from time to time, he would enjoy his son's company. And so this particular day, he and his son had been together for most of the day. And of course, What little boy doesn't enjoy watching powerful machinery move? But they had taken a lunch break. They had gotten down under the bridge in order to see some more of it, uh, see some different pieces of it, and they were eating their lunch down there. When the father had to run up to the control room, pull the lever to lower the bridge, it had been up for a boat to go underneath, to lower the bridge so that the train could go across. And he expected his son to stay where they had eaten their lunch, but you know how boys are. We wander off. And he got up to the control tower, looked down, and he saw that his boy had tried to walk across the catwalk, follow him up to the control room, and had fallen into the machinery that controlled the bridge. True story. Fallen into the machinery that controlled the bridge. The boy was alive, but the problem was the train was coming. The train didn't know his situation. Here he was. He had to decide whether to let that train crash into an open drawbridge or that to sacrifice his son's life so that the bridge would be down when that train arrived. And the story is, a true story, the event is that he chose to lower that drawbridge and his son was crushed in the machinery so that those people could just whisk by on the train. You know, the crazy thing is the people on the train, they didn't even know what had happened. They weren't aware. They just right over the top of that bridge. And I think that's a beautiful illustration of what God the Father has done for us. We were in danger of hell fire. We were in danger of being cast into the lake of fire forever. But because God loved us, he gave his only begotten son in our place. And what Jesus did for us is he died on the cross. That's why the cross is is a symbol of Christianity. He died on the cross. And the Bible says that he bare our sins in his own body while he was on that cross. All the times that I've lied, all the times that I've been angry with my brother without a cause, all the things that I said that were hurtful, all the evil things that I've done, all the evil things that I've thought, 
all of those sins were placed on Jesus Christ when he died on the cross. But the good news, again, the, the, the amazing news is he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose again. He came back from the grave. That's what Easter is all about. I like to call it Resurrection Sunday. It's the day that we commemorate, we remember that Jesus is alive because his sacrifice paid the penalty for sin. Jesus never sinned. There was no sin in him. The Bible says there was no uh, deception, no guile in his mouth. When he died, he didn't die for his own sins like you or I would would, would die for our own sins. He died for the sins of the world. He died for your sins. He died for my sins. And we see that his sacrifice was acceptable to God, satisfactory because he rose again from the dead. And the truth is, someday Jesus is coming back for his people. So how do we get this forgiveness? How do we get our sins moved from off of me and on to Jesus Christ? The Bible tells us us that this gift is received by faith. For by grace... Are ye saved through faith? That saved part is saved from the penalty of our sin, saved from the power of our sin. We're saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, God knows us really well. And if I could earn my way to heaven, if I could take all of my bad stuff and put it on one side of the scale... And take all of my good stuff and put it on the other side of the scale. And somehow that would make me acceptable for heaven. And I could get to heaven on my own goodness. I'd be really proud about it, wouldn't I? I'd say, you know what? Let me tell you how to get to heaven. You got to do all the right stuff. I'll tell you how to do it. That type of pride is never going to be acceptable in heaven. And God knew that we were naturally proud. He knew that we were never going to be able to save ourselves. That's the more, more important thing. He knew we'd never be able to save ourselves. And so he offers it as a gift. This gift is received by faith, for by grace are you saved through faith, the Bible says. And I was trying to think of an illustration, and I came up with this one. How many of you have driven one of those cars that you don't need to put the key in the ignition and turn it over anymore to start it? You just have a fob in your pocket or in your purse, and when you push the start button, the car turns on. How many of you ever have one of those? Okay. Go ahead and put your hands on If you've never had one of those, they're really cool. Except if your friend doesn't tell you about it and he hands you the key fob, you're like, where's the key? And you sit in the car and you're like, where do, wh- I don't understand how this works. But let's imagine your friend says, okay, I want to give you, I want to give you a car. I just want to give it to you. It's yours. I'm, I'm going to go down to DMV. I'm going to transfer this title into your name. It's your car. Here are, is the key fob. Remember, not the keys because there's no key to this car. Here's just the fob. And you look at that fob. Now you have to have to make a decision. Is your friend trustworthy or not? Is is he actually giving you the car? Is he just playing games with you? Now, some of you, and I have friends like this, they would give you a key fob that didn't actually do anything. Just to see if you'd sit in the car and push the button. You know, how many times is he going to push the button before he realizes April Fool's? Now, hopefully you don't have too many friends like that. But the question is, do I believe that this key fob is all I need to get in that car and take off? Now, here's my question for you. Let's imagine I'm holding on to that key fob. I look at the car across the parking lot. It's a nice car. I like it. What do I have to do to take possession of, to benefit from having that car given to me? I've got to go over. I've got to sit in it. And I've got to push the button. 
Now, I know we talk about doing, and th- that's not really doing anything. That's just having faith that my friend is not deceiving me, that he really has given me this car. All I have to do is sit in it, push that ignition button. It's mine to drive. That's how faith works with this gift of eternal life that God offers us. There's nothing for you to do. You don't have to come to church a certain number of times. You don't have to be baptized. I want to make that clear. The person being baptized today isn't getting baptized because somehow he thinks that's going to get him a place in heaven. You don't have to give in the offering. You don't have to do a certain number of good things. You don't have to be a good dad or a good mom or a, a good citizen. All you have to do is believe that this gift can be yours by faith. The Bible says, for as many as received Him, that is Jesus Christ, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. You know, the name Jesus means God saves. And when you believe that God saves through Jesus Christ, His death, His burial, His resurrection, your sins can be forgiven, and you too can have eternal life. And if I can go back to that illustration I was using at the beginning, the only way any of us gets to heaven is by being born again, being born into that citizenship. I didn't have to earn American citizenship. I didn't have to, to come to the United States and do certain things and then stand in, before a judge and, and make a solemn oath. I didn't have to do any of that. I was born into this citizenship. And the only way any of us gets to heaven is not through a visa. There's no green card. There's no immigration system into heaven. You're either born again or you're not born again. And if you're wondering, boy, I'm not sure. Maybe I I might be born again. I'm not really sure. Let me remind you of the other thing I said early in the message, and that is imagine that one of my Mongolian friends asked me, what's your country of origin? Where, Where are you a citizen? And I said, you know, I'm not really sure. I think I might be. You'd worry about me, wouldn't you? These things, God says, these things I've written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. We want you to know. God wants you to know that you have eternal life. Not to wonder. Not to hope. Not to think that maybe. Not to say, well, maybe I need a little bit more time to find out. No. You can leave this morning knowing that your sins are forgiven and you have eternal life. And that's what we, Elmira Baptist Church, wants for each one of you. Father, thank you for the opportunity to baptize one of our young people today. It's it's a blessing to have young people that want to be committed to Jesus Christ. To have elderly saints who for decades have been faithful to you and continue to be faithful to you. I thank you for them also. I thank you that you've gathered us together to sing your praises and to worship you this morning. And Lord, you know that I'm burdened that there are some here that do not know that they have eternal life. They think they might. They're hopeful. It's possible that there's a few more things they'd like to get done before they meet you in eternity. Father, dash all of those hopes. Help them to see that it's only through Jesus Christ that any of us are born again, that any of us receive that gift of eternal life, that any of us have our sins forgiven. Lord, I pray this because we want to, we want our, our uh, fellow Americans to know that their citizenship is in heaven, that they have a home prepared for them in eternity. 
So Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would work in the hearts of any that are here this morning who are not Christians. Show them that they show them that their need for Jesus Christ. Show them that their sins are condemning them, that they're not sufficient, their own good works are not sufficient, and that they need Jesus Christ. And I pray these things in the name of your Son, 